Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Does justice have a statute of limitations or should former slaveholding countries pay for their past wrongs? That's what a group of Caribbean nations are looking to do. The community of Latin American and Caribbean states is considering approaching the UN's International Court of Justice to demand compensation from 10 European countries over 18th and 19th century slavery practices. It comes after the EU said Europe's slave trading past inflicted, quote, untold suffering on millions of people. Well, William Darity is a professor and the director of the Samuel Du Bois Cook Centre on Social Equity at Duke University in North Carolina. Thank you so much for your time. What was slavery's impact in the Caribbean? Let's start there. Well, I think its, it's most extensive impact was actually on the harms and atrocities that were inflicted on the lives of the people who were enslaved but also uh, the consequent benefits for European economic development, particularly in the cases of France and the UK. You've written extensively on the issue of inequality and, and reparations for descendants of slavery in the United States. What does reparative justice represent for these Caribbean nations in this instance? Well, I don't think that I can speak for them, but uh, I'm working on the assumption that there is some parallel between the U.S. case and the situation in the Caribbean, insofar as the effects of slavery extend to the present moment in terms of an array of atrocities and the acts of white supremacy that succeeded the period of enslavement. And uh, those have, have been... Uh, have been historical factors leading to the present moment that have engaged both the lives of people in the Caribbean as well as in the United States. And uh, I think that it is the fact that there is so much that has occurred since slavery ended, which is uh, devastating and harmful, that leads to the case for reparations today. So why are these nation states seeking legal advice from the ICJ? I mean, how would that benefit their case? I'm not sure what their motivation is for going to the International Court of Justice. Uh, the International Court of Justice does not have the capacity to make any individual nation state do anything. And so it strikes me that it would be more useful to confront directly the various parliaments of the relevant European countries, just as I think in the United States, black Americans whose ancestors were enslaved here should be confronting the United States Congress for restitution. So what European countries are we talking about when you reference the parliaments or governments of these European countries? Who ranks amongst them as the greatest beneficiary of these 19th and 20th century slavery practices? Well, I think we need to actually go back to the 18th century, at the point which uh, the United Kingdom becomes a major actor in the slave trade. Uh, and that's a transformative period because the United Kingdom also becomes a primary source of slaves for the uh, 
for the French, uh, the French colonial territories, especially for modern day Haiti and the Dominican Republic. So uh, I think we have to include the 18th century in the conversation. But to the present moment, in the aftermath of slavery, you still had an extended period of colonial rule. And that was a process in which continued atrocities took place. And so as a consequence, I think that that becomes an important ledger on the uh, an important ledger item on the case for reparations. So how do you think this uh, I take your point about the direction that you feel that these claims should go or the recipients of these uh, complaints or, or, or complaints or, or claims being the actual countries themselves. How would it impact these claims if the court uh, denied hearing them? Could they still proceed without asking for monetary compensation for slavery? Well, I think they could still ask for monetary compensation from the countries that would be the targets of attention. You asked me, what are the relevant countries in the European context? Well, I, I would say virtually all of them, uh, ranging from uh, Spain and Portugal to the United Kingdom to the Netherlands uh, to France, all of the countries that had significant colonial possessions throughout the Caribbean and throughout South America, I think would be relevant targets for uh, for for programs of redress, the Caribbean nations are seeking compensation to go beyond slavery to also include colonialism as a whole. I mean, this is a particularly pertinent conversation here in Australia as a, a former British colony. What's your take on this? Is it possible to take apart the benefits and also perhaps the disadvantages to being a colony in? Uh, in the 21st century? Well, as a social scientist who is trained in economics, I've spent a substantial amount of time trying to estimate what the monetary value would be of an appropriate compensation package in the United States. Uh, I have not attempted to do that for other countries, but I, I certainly think that individuals who are trained in the same way that I have been do have the capacity to come up with those numbers. Uh, we can assign numerical values to atrocities. And we do this on a regular basis in terms of harms and damages that occur. When individuals' lives are taken, we provide compensation to their families through the court system routinely. And so uh, we can do something similar with respect to trying to come up with a calculation of what is owed for reparations. Of course, there are uh, incidents or at least uh, sentiments all around the world in former uh, colonies. For example, there's a movement in India uh, that claims Britain ripped $45 trillion out of the Indian subcontinent over the course of 200 years. Surely that may give the Caribbean nation some sort of legitimate case. Yes, and I think that comparable kinds of estimates have been constructed for some of the countries on the African continent that were subjected to uh, colonial rule. The key thing, though, is that the number must be associated with some sort of estimate of the consequences for individuals who are living today. So in the U.S. context, for example, I do not think that Black American descendants of U.S. slavery are owed uh, the amount of money that would have been due to their ancestors had their ancestors actually been paid for their labor. On the other hand, I do think living descendants are due what 
I refer to as the primary uh, cumulative indicator of of white supremacy on on the living descendants today, which is uh, the difference in wealth between black and white households in the United States. And that amounts to somewhere in the vicinity of about $14 trillion. And I would say that that's the baseline for establishing an amount of restitution in the U.S. context. And I would argue that people would have to do something similar in uh, the context of other nations. But it's not a matter of paying living descendants what was due to their ancestors because of the atrocities that their ancestors experienced directly. What has to be done is to construct an, an estimate of the opportunities and economic security that is being denied folks in the present moment as a consequence of this historical trajectory. And that calculation is an, is fraught with enormous difficulty. For example, are you able to subtract or omit the effect of social uh, policy and economic policy since slavery ended? Because certainly there has been levers of social policy and uh, legal and ethical you know, treatment of former slaves since then. Is that your reference to white supremacy, as you call it, the ongoing echoes of a former uh, scheme or, 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 or system? Well, when I focus on the wealth disparity, that is the difference in net worth on average between black and white people, that is an estimate that is a consequence of the full array of policies taken place in the United States. Uh, both policies that were directed at increasing white wealth while uh, diminishing black wealth, but any other types of social policies that might have been, might have been introduced, uh, let's, let's describe it as a net effect. And that net effect is staggering. If you just join me on RN Drive, Professor William Darity is here. He's the director of the Samuel Du Bois Cook Center on social equity at Duke University in North Carolina. We're discussing if former slaveholding nations should pay and could pay reparations to the descendants of enslaved people. I'm curious to talk about the, I suppose, uh, cultural differences between the different uh, former imperial powers of the 18th and 19th centuries, because uh, historians have long written that there, there weren't differences in the way that slaves were treated. Can we rank them at all? Was there any, ever any imperial powers that sought to make reparations before they were demanded? I'm not aware of any instance where reparations have been paid to uh, the descendants of, in, of, of folks who were transported to the Americas via the Atlantic, transatlantic slave trade. I know of no instance in which that has been done. Uh, and I think it's it's uh, it's it's one of the great modern tragedies. I mean, some would say slavery has been abolished, and those alive today had nothing to do with the practice, therefore shouldn't be held responsible. How how do you counter th- that criticism, if you like? And and do you feel that regardless of an outcome, regardless of the figure involved in an outcome, would it truly address social inequity, for example, in your country? Again. Uh, my central point is that the case for reparations is not linked exclusively to the history of slavery, that one has to take into account the host of atrocities that took place in the aftermath of slavery that sustained the types of disparities that were initially created by the process of 
enslavement. So it is not reparations for slavery. It is not slavery reparations. It is reparations, from my perspective, the full effects of white supremacy. William, this is somewhat of a relevant uh, topic here in Australia uh, as uh, different campaigns are arguing around constitutional recognition of First Nations Australians. We, of course, had a terrible colonial history, uh, which has had lasting impacts on our First Nations Australians. Do we also have a moral obligation to give reparations to our Indigenous people? Uh, My reaction is yes, but I think it's contingent on what your Indigenous people believe. Uh, I would say the same is probably true in the context of the United States, where there is a Native American population that I don't think has ever received uh, adequate compensation for for the history of the atrocities directed against them. Canada would also be another example. So my my initial reaction is yes, that seems to be that seems to be the case from my perspective. Uh, but I'm not sure what type of movement exists in Australia that is directed and led by your indigenous population. We'll have to leave it there. William Darity is a professor and the director of the Samuel Du Bois Cook Centre on Social Equity at Duke University in North Carolina. Great to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.